Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Wanted, dead or alive. Oh Lord, there's a warrant out on every person in this place. And either we're going to be under the blood of Jesus Christ or we're going to forfeit our own blood. There is no in-between place, and I plead today that you would make this plain to our hearts that any person in this place who has not fled to you, Jesus, would do so now. That we would come to an end of all flesh. That you would have the victory, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. As John was on the island of Patmos. The Lord Jesus came and began to reveal to his heart the secret things that were going to take place at the end of time. As he began to reveal these end time events, the first thing on his heart was to speak a message regarding seven churches. Now, historically, we have looked at these as representing seven periods of time. And every evangelical scholar that I know of today would say that we are in the age of the church of Laodicea. But historically, many looked at these seven churches as being applicable in every day and every age. That each of these seven churches has a specific message to speak to the condition in the body of Christ at that time. As we come to this message in Revelation, the third chapter, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, terror begins to strike my heart. I have spent a great deal of time looking at the church at Laodicea, And we'll develop that as we move along, probably next Sunday. I've never preached on any of the other six churches until this series. 
because my eyes have always been drawn to Laodicea. But this church at Sardis, it is for us. It cuts right across to the heart of the matter. Let's begin. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, we know that the seven stars represent the seven pastors. The sevenfold spirit or the seven spirits is a sermon all of its own, and we will come back at a later time and deal with the sevenfold spirit. Just very briefly, the sevenfold spirit is the Holy Spirit in all of his completeness. Now, we know very little about the Holy Spirit. We know much about Jesus, who was here for only three and a half years. The Holy Spirit has been here for 2,000 years, and we know very little about him. Why? Because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus Christ. And so we want to look at a later time at the sevenfold Holy Spirit, because in that revelation, we find seven different factions or prisms or colors to look at regarding Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. If you have a spirit separated from the cross of Jesus Christ, you can be certain it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always lift up the cross of Jesus Christ before our hearts. And he will always move in such a way that Jesus is glorified. The flesh will never be glorified by the Holy Spirit. Jesus will be glorified. We'll deal with that at a later time. But today, let's come to the heart of the message. He begins chapter 3. I know your deeds. I had to stop. Because you see, for most of my life as a pastor, I've proclaimed justification by faith. I've always taught and I believe that my standing before Jesus is based on what he did at the cross, plus nothing. That my standing before God is totally a gift of God's grace. I cannot earn my salvation. Salvation is a freely given gift. And that wonderful message of justification by faith was what the Protestant Reformation was all about. This truth had been hidden. And so men and women were praying through saints. Men and women were putting the priest between their heart and the shepherd Jesus. They were praying to Mary. All kinds of foolishness had come into the church. And this wonderful truth, like an arrow of light, a laser beam, pierced the heart of Martin Luther. And this wonderful truth was expounded and brought forth in the debate between Erasmus and Martin Luther. And the great question was, is it possible for a man to decide not to sin? And Erasmus said, absolutely, we have free will. 
Martin Luther said, it is not possible for a man or woman to decide not to sin. Martin Luther's position was that a man can only determine who he will serve or whom he will serve. In other words, we're not capable of dealing with our sin separate from Jesus. If I could make the decision to stop my sinning, I would not need a savior. But because of the pernicious hold that sin has on my life, only the blood of Jesus can break the bondage. And so we come today in full affirmation of justification by faith. Knowing that our standing before God is based not on our works, but on the grace of Jesus. But recognizing that the only choice we can make is that we will serve either Jesus or the powers of darkness. I choose today to serve Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I stand by faith on a finished work at the cross of Jesus Christ. But now in our modern church, we have thrown aside the teachings of the great reformers of the faith. And we have made an idol of justification. And we have cut off from justification the wonderful truth of sanctification. Now let me briefly share John Calvin, Martin Luther, Zwingli. If you'll go back and read any of these reformers, they never severed the connection between justification and sanctification. Always they were wed together. But now in the modern church, we have found ourselves believing the lie that says, if I have been justified by faith, if I have accepted Jesus, then sanctification is not necessary. And anyone who begins then to speak about sanctification is considered a legalist. Sanctification simply means to be made holy, to be set apart for Jesus Christ. Now, let's be very clear today. Sanctification is as much a work of grace as is justification. Justification is what God does for me. Sanctification is what God does in me. Sanctification is what the Holy Spirit does as he comes in, and I submit to the crucifying work of Jesus Christ. He said, take up your cross And follow me. Where was Jesus going when he said the words, take up your cross and follow me? He was going to Calvary. And so if we say, okay, I want to embrace the truth of justification. But I don't want to embrace this wonderful work of sanctification. Then I have rent apart the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have divorced it of its power and of its authority. And so now when the law is lifted up to convict men's hearts and to drive them to Jesus Christ, in the modern church, they run quickly up the aisle. They're smiling. And they say, give me my candy. And they go home and they're a worldly pagan person. Except now they have been vaccinated against the cross. They don't understand that they now have to go home and take up the cross of Jesus, that they too have to be crucified and lay down their life. And so we always say here at the National Prayer Chapel, 
Salvation is a free gift, but it costs you everything. Now watch this. Jesus is saying, I know your deeds. He's not saying, I know your theology. He's not saying, I know that you claim justification by faith. He's saying, I know your deeds. In other words, Jesus is saying, my blood was shed for you. Every power and authority has to kneel at the cross. Every demon power has his authority stripped at the cross. Now, there's no excuse for you to continue living in sin. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, are you saying that we have to be perfect? Well, yes, in this sense. Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect, even as the Father which is in heaven is perfect. That word perfect in the Greek means mature. It doesn't mean without any flaw. It means mature. So a farmer goes out and he sows a seed. When it's this high, the corn, is that corn perfect? No, but when the corn grows up and it bears fruit, we'd say that corn's perfect. Am I right? It's ready to eat. Jesus is saying, be mature, be grown up. See this thing. Now, do I make mistakes? Do I sin? Yes, I do. And it grieves my heart. I'm not perfect. John Wesley always had to deal with that question. And on his deathbed, he was asked, Now, are you living without any sin? He said, no, brother, but I believe it's possible. In other words, the blood of Jesus is there to take us all the way. So today, some of you come into this place and you know you've sinned against God. Well, you have a a choice to make. Will you submit that thing before the throne of Jesus? Will you go to the cross? Will you let the Holy Spirit finish that work of crucifixion in your heart? Will you lay that thing aside or will you cling to it? If you cling to it, you separate your soul from Jesus. If you release it, you're drawn closer into the heart of Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, but pastor, I'm saved. Well, yes, you are. No, you're not. You're saved in the sense that it speaks of in the book of Ephesians that you have received the first gift of grace. You have been born again. You have the power of the Spirit working in your life to turn you toward righteousness. But in another sense, you've not yet been saved because you're sitting here instead of heaven. When I'm saved... Finally and completely, I'm going to be finished with this old world. And Jesus said, look, many of you, you're going to come to me on that last day and you're going to say, Lord, Lord, but look what we did. And I'm going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. Now, please hear my heart. Only Jesus knows. You don't even know. Because Jesus is the judge, not you or me. And so if I say, I'm saved, I'm justified, 
I have to stop and ask you, but are you sanctified? Or is Jesus going to come and say to you, as he said to Sardis, I know your deeds. I know how you're walking. I know what you're saying in the secret place. And when no Christians are around, I know how you're acting. I know what the lust of your heart is. I know the secret desires of your spirit. I've uncovered the depths of your heart. I'm examining you, and I know you, and your deeds are not complete in my sight. Now listen to what he says next. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So he's saying to the church at Sardis, you have a good game. I mean, you look good. Your church looks good. You say the right words. And you've got this acting down. You go in on Sunday and you say the right words. You sing the right songs. You pray the right prayers. But you're dead. It's a game. Now, this terrified my heart and I stopped reading right there. And I began to pray, and I said, Lord, would you show me, what do you mean when you say you are dead? What does that mean? In the word, what does that mean? Very quickly, let me share some passages of Scripture with you. The first passage of Scripture that I went to was this passage in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, verse 6. Speaking about the widows. This is 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, verse 6. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. I had never had that lifted up before me before. The widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. So the word is saying you can, you can be fully alive in appearance. But because your desire is for your own pleasure, for the world, you're dead. In the eyes of God, you're dead. Now, I want to say to you, Jesus is not speaking this word to the church at Sardis, to pagan people. He's speaking this to his people. He's speaking this to people who say they're Christians. He's speaking this to the church crowd. And he's saying, if you live for pleasure, you're dead. Even though you claim to be justified, even though you claim to be saved, if you live for pleasure, you're dead. Now, you understand what pleasure is. It's what I want instead of what he wants. Then I continued pressing into the Lord, and he reminded me of a scripture in Ephesians, the second chapter. He also reminded me of this parable that Jesus spoke in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. And he said, this son was dead and is now alive. This son, who was off in the foreign country, that is, he was away from the presence of God. He was dead. But now, because he's come back to the Father, he's come to his senses, he's now alive. Then look at this passage in Ephesians, the second chapter, 
Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's saying, in this area of sanctification, you can claim to be justified, you can claim to be a Christian, you can claim to be going to heaven, but you can be dead. Now here's the struggle that I'm having. I find myself at times half dead and half alive. I find myself being caught up in saying, how can I change this to my advantage? How can I get what I want? How can I make certain that I'm taken care of? While Jesus says, come and lay your life down. Love your brother as yourself. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. I have to tell you, I have an especially hard time with my enemies. With those who persecute me. With those who don't respect or honor who I think I am. That usually happens in the family. Right now, I'm struggling with my wife's brothers who are very upset because they're not able to control by remote control what's happening with their mother. And so all kinds of spears and arrows are coming my direction. And I want to pick those spears up and throw them back. I want to pick their arrows up and shoot them back twice as hard as they came. So my feet very quickly and easily slip over into that realm of darkness. And Jesus is saying, if you walk in that darkness, you're dead. So frankly, have you ever awakened in the morning and your arm was numb? And you get up and you have to shake it to get it. And it feels like pins are poking in it. And it hurts and you shake it and you say, oh, I get this thing alive. Well, I'm saying, Jesus, would you just get busy and shake me alive? Yes, Jesus. Because I get these parts of me that just die and go numb. I'm saying, Jesus, I don't want to walk like this. Now, Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better to go to heaven maimed. I know what he's saying. He's saying, you best get that dead part of you cut off. Any of you identify any dead parts in your life today? And they may be causing you a fair amount of pain. I just hear the word of the Lord coming today saying, look, get those dead parts cut off. Or else get them shaken alive. Let the blood flow again, the blood of Jesus. Let it wash you and make you clean. There is nothing so awesome as to come into the presence of Jesus in the private prayer closet and just lay down on the floor before him and lay out before him those arrows and those spears and say, Jesus, I'm going to give them to you 
Because if I keep them, I'll throw them back. And I just give them to you, Jesus. Every root of bitterness, Jesus, I just lay it down at your feet. Every, Every place that deadness is beginning to creep into my body, Lord, I just lay that thing down at your feet and I ask you, shake me alive. Wake me up. Get the blood of Jesus flowing in that situation again. Some of you are dead at work. And you need the blood of Jesus to start flowing at you at work. You'll wake up tomorrow morning and you'll say, why do I have to go to that job again? And you're dead. Because Jesus has some work for you to do in that place or you wouldn't be assigned there. And some of you, are, some of you find yourself in places where you went out on your own and you put yourself in that place And now Jesus is saying, now, will you serve me in that place? Will you let my blood flow in you in that place? Or are you going to continue to walk in rebellion and be dead? I pray, oh God, cut off that deadness from my heart. Now, I say that to you. Because in Revelation, there is a terrifying picture that is given to us. In Revelation, the 20th chapter. There is a scene painted for us that is surreal. It is terrifying. And it says wanted, dead or alive. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. Now there's only one person who sits on a great white throne. And his name is Jesus. The white throne is for purity. There is no stain of sin in Jesus Christ. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled away from his presence. In other words, his glory is so awesome that nothing of the earth can find any place in his presence because everything in the earth has been corrupted by sin. Can you imagine? I wake up one beautiful morning in heaven. And I say, today, I want to plant some more grapes in my vineyard. And I go out with my shovel, and I put my my shovel down into that rich loam. And I turn it over, and I find an old can of Coke. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. There's not going to be any trash left in heaven. It's going to be a new earth. Everything of this earth is going to flee away from the presence of the righteous one, the judge. Now watch what happens. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done. Who's the judge? Jesus. You find that in John, the fifth chapter, verse 22. Don't turn now. Jot it down. John 5, 22. Jesus says, all judgment is given into my hands. Jesus is the judge. He's the one seated on that white throne. And in his presence, everything flees away. 
But what we find standing before this throne are the dead, great and small. Now, this is going to be a horrific picture beyond imagination. Let me tell you why. When the saints are resurrected, it says they're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and they're going to receive a new body. But when these dead are brought up for judgment, they will not have a redeemed body. And they're going to look like they looked when they went into the casket. It is going to be the most horrible of sights. Their body is not redeemed. They do not have a body like Jesus Christ in beauty and glory. Instead, they have a body in condemnation, in darkness, in agony. Now, the great and the small are there. What's that mean? Very simple. You're going to have the presidents who did not serve Jesus. You're going to have the senators who did not serve Jesus. You're going to have the sports figures who today are so big in the culture and worshiped. They're going to be there. You're going to have the people who are just normal people like us. We're not famous. We're not wealthy. We're common people. They're going to be lots of just common people before that throne. And they're going to be dead. And in that horrific place, in that place of judgment, they are going to be judged according to what they have done. Either Jesus is going to be your advocate and your attorney and plead your case, or he's going to be your judge. Every man, woman, every boy and girl is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ either to walk into condemnation and eternal hell or to be covered by the blood of Jesus, to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And that has to be pled out of court. So the question is, will you cop a plea or will you wait till you get to court? If you make a settlement out of court, You don't have to go to this judgment. But if you have not pled guilty and cast yourself on the mercy of the judge, you will be at this judgment. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? We all will be judged. That's what the word says. Now, either we're going to settle out of court and confess that we're guilty and lay our lives down and take up the cross of Jesus and have all death cut off from our hearts and our lives. Or we're going to appear in this court. And in this court, there's going to be no leniency granted. There will be no escape granted. There will be absolute certainty of judgment being rendered against your heart and mine if we do not settle out of court. That's why I say you're wanted, dead or alive. If you're dead, you will face this judgment. 
if you are alive, according to Ephesians 2, by the transforming work of the blood of Jesus Christ, then you will plead out of court and you will settle with the judge before you ever get to his court. And then you will be declared not guilty because Jesus paid the price on Calvary's tree. But if you believe that you can continue to claim Jesus as your Lord and then continue to walk in the arrogance of the flesh because the modern church has taught you such a lie, then know for certain that you with your theology will show up at this judgment bar of Jesus Christ. You see, all of us have to die. We either die and lay down our lives that Jesus Christ can live in us or we die at the judgment. None of us are going to walk through this alive. Either we allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ, that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us, or we will be brought before this judgment bar of God. Some of you today have not made your peace with Jesus Christ. You still are in the in-between place. Do you know what will happen to you if you remain in that in-between place? And the day of salvation closes? With all of your theology, you will be brought before this great, great white throne judgment. And you will face eternal death. The in-between place is not safe. There's only one place of safety. And that is at the feet of Jesus Christ. Totally given over to Jesus Christ. But I tell you, everything in our culture cries out for us to be involved in it. The music cries out for us to leap into it. The entertainment cries out, sit down and watch me. Turn on that ball game. Indulge in that thing. Give your heart and mind to it. Everything in the culture cries out, enjoy, consume, get rich, be prosperous. Enjoy life. I tell you today, if you walk that way, you better enjoy it while you have it. Because you'll come to this judgment bar. And you'll walk into hell for eternity. And hell has no exit signs. It's final. It's complete. It's the determination by Almighty God that you are an eternal rebel and that you cannot be changed, that you have rejected every advance of mercy. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. You know, I've already forgotten what I did last week. God hasn't. Neither what I did last week is under the blood of Jesus. Or I'm accountable for it at that great white throne judgment. I don't know what I'm going to do this week. God knows. And if what I do this week is not under the blood of Jesus... 
I'll answer for it at this great white throne judgment. The scripture says I'm not my own. I was bought at a price. And now the Holy Spirit wants to come and dwell in all of his fullness in my soul. But he's not going to come and dwell and abide in me if I have rooms sealed off. And I say, but Jesus, over there I have my pleasures. You don't mind if I slip in with my lover once in a while, do you? You don't mind, Jesus, if I just leave you alone here in the living room while I slip off to the bedroom and play with my worldly lusts. Yes, he does mind. The Holy Spirit will never come into a house divided. He either possesses it fully and completely, or he will not inhabit that house. Now, in his great mercy, in his great love, in his great kindness, under the blood of Jesus, he now comes in and he begins to woo us and he begins to call after us so that when we turn to that wickedness, he says to us, no, don't do that, come back. But if we grieve him out of our hearts so that that voice no longer speaks to us. If we rebel against him time after time after time. We finally will no longer hear his kind and gentle voice. Our hearts will be seared as with an iron. And all hope will be lost. Now you understand your heart can be seared as with an iron. And you have full intellectual confidence in your theology. This is not a judgment about what you know. This is a judgment about what you do. The Lord's not interested in what you know. He wants to know what's in your heart. Are you a rebellious, arrogant, hard-hearted person who refuses to submit and take up the cross? Or are you soft in him? Are you pliable with the spirit? Will you do what the spirit of God calls you to do? Then he says, come on into my dwelling. You're covered by the blood. See, Jesus didn't call me to be good or smart called me to be faithful. He called me to be faithful because Jesus is the only good one. He calls us to be faithful. Now watch. Verse 14, Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I want to tell you why I love my Jesus. Here are all of these horrific cases before him. Here are all of these men and women, these boys and girls, who have refused to surrender, who have refused to take up the cross, who have refused to follow him, who have rejected every time and said, I'm going to have it my way. And even in this judgment, when he has all the evidence laid out, he still opens the book of life. And God, who makes no mistakes in his kind mercy, checks that book of life 
for every person's case individually. And he says, is there any possibility? Was this person, he opens that book of life and he finds the line where your name is supposed to be written to make certain whether that name is there or not. That's his mercy. That's why I love my Lord. My Lord Jesus went to the cross for me. And at the final judgment, he's going to check that book one more time just to make certain that no mistake has been made regarding my case. For his will is that none should perish. His will is that all should be saved and come into salvation. I tell you, Jesus loves you. Jesus' heart is being poured out for you. His blood is available for you. And there is no bondage of sin that cannot be broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no attitude. There is no lust of the heart. There is not one sin that cannot be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And when we come to that final judgment, If you stand in that horrible, horrific courtroom. And if your name is brought forward. And if the books of accountability are opened and there all of your sin is listed. There will be no excuse. For all of heaven has been poured out for you. Now, if you get up from this house. And you go out and live like the pagans live. If you go out to the entertainment of the pagans. If you go out to the activities of the pagans. If you don't read the word of God. If you don't eat this word. If you don't press into Jesus. You will face that great white throne judgment. The Lord Jesus has asked us to give him everything. I was with a Christian family this last week. Two teenage children. Their only heart was could we get a movie and rent a movie at Blockbuster. I said to these young people, have you ever read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation? And they answered no with such assurance It was as though I was crazy for even suggesting that that should have happened. Now, how is it possible for two children to grow up in a Christian family and their entire taste for life is focused around darkness and they have absolutely no taste for this precious word of God? How is that possible? Because death reigns in that family. And with all of their theology, if there is not a radical transformation of that precious family's life, they will find themselves before the great white throne judgment. And so I come back to Sardis. Verse 2. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. You almost hear the panic in his voice. He's saying, come quickly. Don't waste time. 
Get this thing straight. Get it clean. Get it changed. Do whatever you have to do. Come quickly. Don't play with sin. He's saying, you're dead, but you have some things that remain in your heart. There's not a one of you in this place today that does not have the calling of the Spirit of God in your heart. You came to this place today because the Holy Spirit was calling you. And the Holy Spirit now wants to say to you, get clean. Make the decisions. Take action. Turn away from those things that have taken your time and your energy and have robbed you of the precious presence of Jesus Christ. Turn aside from it. Don't walk in it anymore. When you go to work, be lifting up Jesus. As you're in that place of employment, let the brilliance of God glow out of your heart. Let no words of bitterness come out of your mouth. Let no words of self-defense come out of your mouth. Let only words that are seasoned with grace flow from your heart. Let no cursing come from your lips. Let no bitterness come from your lips. Let no lusting after money come from your lips. Rather, let salt permeate your soul. I have to stop here and ask, as I speak this word to you, do you recognize areas in your life where you have given yourself to the world's pleasures? Maybe innocent, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it wasn't the tree of life. I tell you today, I hear the Lord saying, turn aside from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and begin to eat from the tree of life. Feast on Jesus Christ. He's the broken bread. He's the poured out wine. Jesus is enough. Now follow. I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. He says this again. And then in verse three, he says, remember therefore what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now that imagery is powerful for me. When I was a a small child, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth grade, my mother and my father both worked And we would come home from school to our little country home. And we would have the chores we were to do as we waited for mom and dad to come home. Now, sometimes the three boys would get into trouble. I remember one afternoon we got to roughhousing. And I threw a ball. And we were not allowed to throw balls in the house. But I threw a ball to my brother. He ducked. It went through the front window. I knew mom and daddy were coming home. Now, you see, normally, we would walk down the road some three miles where mama would come in the car and she would pick us up and she would bring us home together and she'd always have a special treat for us and we'd talk and we'd laugh and it was wonderful. We wanted to see mama come. 
But on that day, I didn't walk three miles to greet Mama. When Mama got home, I was down at the river playing. And we had a signal. Three honks of the horn meant come home right now. I heard the three honks of the horn. It was as though judgment was pronounced upon me. I didn't want to go home. I knew if I didn't go home, I would be in serious trouble. But I was already in serious trouble. Now hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, let's read it again. I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. In other words, as you look at Jesus right now, do you know there are things that stand in your life that cause you to fear and tremble at his coming? Or are you clean before him and you're eager, you're going to walk three miles to meet him? If you knew from which direction Jesus would coming, you'd be out there waiting for him because you knew he'd sweep you up in his arms and he'd carry you. Or would he bring judgment to you? How do you stand with Jesus Christ this day? Are you eagerly looking for him? Are you going into his presence and laying on your face and saying, Jesus, I love you. Thank you. I praise you and I honor you. Or are you going into his presence if you go at all and saying, Jesus, you got to know what I've done. How are you with Jesus today? You see, there's no room for just indifference to Jesus. Indifference will bring judgment and he will come like a thief and bring terror to your heart. I'll never forget the day my three brothers, we were all together. We were in the house. And we thought we heard somebody in the house. And terror filled us. And we ran into the bathroom and we locked the door. And we trembled with fear because we thought somebody was in the house. And we stayed there till mom and daddy got home. If Jesus came today, would you be terrified? Or would you lift up your arms and say, lo, this is my God. I have waited for him and he will save me. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. In other words, there is going to be a holy remnant. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I want to be a part of that holy remnant. I don't want to be a part of the worldly church game. I don't want to be a part of the entertainment. I don't want to be a part of the hype. I don't want to be a part of the, the drama. I want Jesus. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I could share with you many passages of Scripture that deal with these white clothing. But just very briefly, 
in Revelation, the 19th chapter. Hallelujah. This is verse 6, the last part. Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So today I have to ask you, I have to ask you the question. When Jesus comes, are you today ready to rush into his presence? and glorify his name, and welcome him with outstretched arms, casting before him all glory, power, and honor. For if he comes today, are you going to hide in fear and shame? Because there's something not right in your life. Are you clean by the blood of the lamb? Have you been washed in the blood The modern church doesn't want to talk about the blood, but I have to talk about the blood because that's all that washes away my sin. It cleanses me. It's the most precious, expensive commodity in the universe. It's Jesus. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory